would like to start on a new series this morning. Uh, whenever I start a book study, I like to spend a day setting the background of the climate, what was going on during that book. And my fear is always that it's going to sound more like a lecture than a sermon. However, it's hard to understand uh, what people are doing and why are they doing things if you don't understand the who, what, when, where, whys of a situation. And what I'd like to do is that. I won't spend a lot of time talking about the history uh, today. I'm giving you some notes and some maps and some family trees. I will be referring to those over the next week or two, uh, or three or four. It depends how far it goes. But uh, it's, it's all very, very important. When you see in your Bible and you see the word Herod, you've got to know that there's about five or six different Herods. And if you don't understand that, New Testament all the way through the end of Acts won't make a lick of sense to you. So it's kind of like uh, uh, there's a fighter named George Foreman, and I think he had six boys, and he named all six boys George. And he had a little girl, and he named her Georgia. Well, Herod had a bunch of boys, and he named them all Herod, and he had a girl, and he named her Herodias. And it's really tough to keep them straight. So if you would, would you bow with me in prayer before we open up uh, uh, the, the history books and then scripture? God, we find it amazing that um, you plunked down Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom in the middle of this political mess. And we find it more amazing that once we understand that, what his teaching was. And I pray we can accept that and learn from him, be awed at his humility, but also uh, be pricked by his, uh, his model. Lord, I pray that as the words come, they become alive to us in our everyday lives. I pray that we get excited about our Savior, but also we get excited about uh, having a long-term view of focusing on spiritual and not the physical. Bless us and guide us during this, 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 uh, this study, and I also pray that you'll bless and guide us in our every hat that we wear at work, as a citizen of this country, as a parent, as a spouse, as a neighbor, as a member of this church. Lord, bless us and guide us so that we glorify you in all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you a great, take a step back and look at a great big picture of Judah. Now, when Judah was conquered by the Greeks, they ruled for about 150 years. And then some time went by and Israel actually got to govern itself for about a hundred years underneath the Maccabees. And then after that, Rome conquered them somewhere around 63 BC, and they ruled for about 20 to 23 years. This is going to be important. But in 40 BC, Judah got conquered by the Parthians. And that reign only lasted seven years, and then Rome came back and kicked the Parthians out and became rulers of Judah once again. Now, the character that's going to play in a lot during Jesus' birth is Herod, Herod the Great. In other words, he's the first. I don't particularly find anything great about him, but I'm going to use that because that's what history uses. I guess he was great in terms of business. He was great in terms of military. He was great in terms of architecture. But in terms of spirituality, there was nothing great about him. I want you to notice that somewhere around 48 B.C., he became the governor of Galilee. So do you see that on the timetable? He was governor, Rome was leading, and all of a sudden, in about seven, eight years of governing Galilee, in come the Parthians and take control of Judah. So 
Herod has to flee, and he goes to Rome. And he spends about seven years in Rome, and then he comes back when finally Judah was taken back by Roman, and he's set up as the king of Israel. Now, the politics of what's going on, of what he experienced, of how him being vulnerable to Roman, to outside Rome, when Rome doesn't have his back, played a part in his mentality. And then those seven years when he was in Rome, he was um, rubbing elbows with the Roman elite, and he was making alliances. So he was doing a lot of politicking then. And then he was able to become king in, in Judah when they finally reclaimed the land and they put him in charge. He was playing Rome, but he was also playing the locals. One thing I do want to say about his background, when he was made the governor of Galilee, really all Rome cared about was taxes. They wanted their taxes. And the Jews had a history of rebelling. So the people in Galilee were rebelling, and they sent him up there. And when they, he got up there, he set things in order. He put down riots, he put down dissensions, and he got the cash flow going back. He caught the eye of the people in Rome. So when he had to flee and go back to the Rome, he had the respect because he got the cash flow what Rome needed. Rome was really pretty laid back when they conquered a people compared to most nations. One of the things that Rome would do is they would say, okay, we're going to be hands off just as long as you submit to us. And there was really only three things they asked of the people they conquered. Number one, you pay your taxes. Number two, you supply our soldiers. And number three, you respect our leadership. Other than that, we'll let you be. You can have your local governments. You can, you can worship the way you want. You can keep your own currency. You can follow your own customs. Just do those three things. Y'all, what did Jesus teach? Pay your taxes. Supply the soldiers. If he bid you to go one mile, go two. Respect the authority. In other words, they're letting us worship as we like. Don't poke the bear. So this is why it's so important, because when we do this, I want to understand what was going on when Herod tried to kill all those babies. I want to know what was going on when Jesus was teaching what he was teaching and the misconceptions of his disciples. I want to know what's going on when they actually killed him. And then I also want to know what's going on when he finally has died. He's risen from the, the grave. He's up in heaven, ascended into heaven. And his disciples go through in the book of Acts, and we see all the politicking that's going on there. This will help us understand, and maybe it'll help us view our role in society today. You may want to refer to this map every once in a while, but if you see where Rome is, it's about the center. Everybody knows where Italy is, correct? And then way to the right in the lower right-hand corner is Judea. And then if you're looking where those Parthians were, they're way over to the right even further than that. There's, there's Judea and Arabia and Mesopotamia and then Parthia. They're the ones that came over and conquered Judah for about seven years. So you may want to revert that from time to time when we name these places. But the Roman Empire basically was the um, circumference of the Mediterranean Sea. They went and they covered all the lands that surrounded the Mediterranean Sea is where they were. And Herod was, was shark cookie. One of the first, one of his greatest feat was he built a, a port, a great big dock and center and a safe place for shipping. He turned in Caesarea into a merchandise center, capital of commerce. 
And with commerce comes riches, and with comes riches comes taxes. So Rome loved them. Here are the Caesars. Now, you're going to see a lot of these names through Scripture, too. It's important to understand that if you're going to keep things track. Basically, um, the, ba the, the, the New Testament does not start until, oh, about 4 B.C. Julius Caesar, we all have heard about him, right? And then from about 44 to 27 B.C., there was a lot of wrangling. There was a whole bunch of different ones that took power. But finally, uh, August, or he's also known as Octavia, he kind of settled in and he was the Caesar for probably about, oh, 40 years. And that takes us all the way through the birth of Christ. And then after Augustus is Tiberius. Does that, those names sound familiar when you read the Bible? You should recognize those names. They show up every once in a while. And then there's a man that took a short time for four years. And then there was Claudius from 41 to 54. Then there was Nero, and Nero was there, and he was actually responsible for starting to kill some of the disciples, James and Peter and Paul and, and, and those and then from 66 to 70, we got back to the chaos. And in those two years, there were four, four emperors right there. So again, I'm not going to go into that detail, but we may refer to that over the next coming weeks. And this will be a good reference place. Here's the family tree. Here's the Herods in the Bible that play a part. Now in Matthew 2 and verse 1, and that's where we're going to be today is in Matthew 2 you're going to read about Herod the Great. And then finally, at the end of that chapter, Herod the Great's going to die, and his son, one of his sons, is going to take over, and he's going to rule for, oh, I don't know, maybe about 10 years. And then he's got a brother named Herod Antipas, and he is going to rule for, oh, about 35 years. And Antipas, Herod Antipas, is the one that killed John the Baptist. And after that is Agrippa I, who was around when James was killed, and then was Agrippa II, uh, when Peter and Paul was killed. And then finally, I want to talk about this arrangement. Now, the way Rome operated, they went into a place that they conquered, and they tried to let local government rule as far as they could, just as long as they kept those three things. Pay the taxes, respect the authority, and supply the soldiers. And as long as that happened, they would have a king, and sometimes they would be puppet kings, and sometimes they would have a little more power. And Herod actually got quite a bit of power because he was so successful. He was good. He did everything Rome wanted, so they backed up more away, gave more power, because the more power they gave him, the richer he became, and the richer more funds went to Rome. So he was given a relatively free hand compared to everybody else. And what happened was, is they actually worked in pairs. With Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, they worked together. And then you go back in Acts 24, and then there's Herod Agrippa, and he worked with Felix. Felix was replaced by Festus, and they were a pair for a while. So there was always this dual tandem. Uh, the local man being able to run some things, but there was always the oversight of the Roman just to check to make sure things were going well. And they kind of walked to work together. Sometimes they worked in harmony when their interests lined up. And other times when their interests didn't line up, there was a little bit of friction there. So here's the family tree. This is a mess because Herod had 10 wives. Herod the Great had 10 wives. But what happened was, is Herod the Great basically ruled from 32 BC to 4 BC. And then his son, Herod... Archelaus took his spot, and you'll read that. I think that's recorded in uh, Matthew 2. We'll read about him. 
And he ruled just for about 10 years. And then his brother Herod Antipas took his spot and he ruled all the way to 39 AD, which includes the death of John the Baptist and Jesus. And then from him, it jumped all the way over to Herod I, who was a nephew, and he ruled for a while. And then his son, Herod Agrippa II, ruled basically to 70 AD. Okay, let's take the lecture half off and let's put the sermon hat back on. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? We're going to look at the political climate during Jesus' birth and just a little bit before and try to make some sense of it. Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, this would be Herod the Great, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we had seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the Great had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, I want you to understand that Herod the Great was absolutely ruthless. He was one, not only was he a ladder climber, but he was a protector of turf. And if he thought there was any political rivals, he would have them executed. And in this process, he ended up knocking off a couple wives, four sons, a mother-in-law, countless relatives, not to mention Jews and Romans. Tremendously paranoid. And when it came down to it, it says he was troubled. Now, that troubled there is the same kind of troubled that the disciples were in the ship when the storm came and Jesus was walking on the water. It wasn't just kind of, that doesn't make sense. I mean, they were, he was intensely troubled. Now, let me give you a little bit of history of Herod. We've got to understand who he is. First of all, he is not a Jew, biologically. He became one um, as a proselyte, but biologically he was not. His dad was an Edomite and his mom was an Arab. And because he was not quote-unquote Jewish, he always got some pushback from the local Jews. Even though he tried his best to go to the synagogue, even though he tried his best to observe all the practices, even though, even remember that first wife he had up on that chart? She was not a Jew. And in order to try to win favor among the Jews, he divorced her and married a Jewish princess. And he put her away and they had a son and they put her away. And then what happened was he ended up killing the Jewish princess and her son. He started running out of heirs, so he asked that one to come back. And they started getting popular, so guess what he had to do? He had to kill them too. I mean, this is wilder than made-for-TV movies. But that's how paranoid he was. So he was not a Jew, but he did everything in his power to win the favor of Jews, including rebuilding their synagogue and making it really, really fancy. He would take some of his children 
that were born to the Jewish princess, and he would insert them as high priests. He was doing his best to work both sides of the crowd. He was working Rome by continuing the cash flow to them, but he was also working the Jews by trying to appease them. I know he wasn't Jewish, but his kids were. His son was the high priest, his wife was one, and he tried to be as Jewish as possible, looking to the people, trying to get both sides. You're thinking, why did he do that? Let's take a step back. He had power as long as Caesar said he could have power. Period. He was not allowed to really get an army. So the only power he really had was what he got. So he had to keep that flow going. And guess what else Rome was looking for? They're looking for peace. If there was always riots, they would replace the king because they need to have peace. If you think about it, think of all those governors like Pontius Pilate and Felix and Festus. You know what their job, they were Romans. And they got put to this outpost. Did you see on the map how far Rome and, and Jerusalem was? Their goal was to get back home. I don't want to say it was a demotion, but it was kind of like covering a post on the far limits. And you want to do a good job so you can get promoted and go back home and get back. That, that's their job. And one of the ways they would be judged by doing a good job is if the cash flow kept coming and there was peace in the region. And if there was chaos, that wasn't good. You might come back to Rome, but it wasn't to get promoted. It was probably the opposite, to get demoted. So the goal was is to keep peace. The goal wasn't to do right. The goal was to keep peace. So maybe that understands why Pilate's doing some of the things he's doing. Pontius Pilate. He's in a tough situation. So let's do this again. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, here is he that is born king of the Jews. Now, now this is at the very end of Herod's life. Again, according to the historians, when Jesus Christ is born and he flees to Egypt, and it says, Joseph, you can come back, but when Herod's dead, a lot of the accounts are as he was only alive just a couple months more. Herod's the king, but he's at the very end. I mean, he's old and he's crotchety and he's already killed a bunch of his wives and family and sons. So what's to stop him from killing a bunch of babies, right? If he'd killed his own children, what's Jewish babies? Nothing, nothing to him. And when he heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Let's go to verse 4. And when he, that is Herod the Great, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, I find it really interesting here. I want to insert this. In my mind, Herod had faith. But it was almost like a devil faith. What did the Bible say about devils? The devils believe and tremble. But did they ever change? No. I think Herod had that kind of faith too. I think he understood the Old Testament. He had sons that were high priests. He's 69 years old. He's, he's been going to synagogue for all his life. 
And he's been uh, practicing this way and trying to keep the peace and rebuilding the synagogues and hobnobbing with all the Jews, trying to smooth over things. He knows the Old Testament. But it's, the reason why he knows is, is to be politically advance himself. It's not to find out how to be closer to God. So what happens here is, is, is he says, okay, guys, this, this Messiah, I've heard of a Messiah come. You've heard of Jesus coming back a second time, haven't you? If I asked you, okay, I know he's coming back a second time. When's he coming back? That's kind of like what he's doing. He says, okay, there's a Messiah coming for the first time. He says, when he comes, where's he supposed to come from? So we ask all the elders where they're coming from. He's got faith in scripture, but it's kind of a demonic faith. Do you understand when I say a devil faith? Right? You understand what I'm saying? I believe to say out of trouble, but I don't believe to be converted. And he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. I like that. And in a second, we're going to see him inquiring. But he's not inquiring to these people. Who is he, what's he doing to these people? He's demanding. Tell me where this king is supposed to be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet. And those are all the notes, too, that you can find that in Micah 5 and verse 2. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people in Israel. Now, you're Herod, you're paranoid. You protect your turf. You've been through a life of people trying to get your throne. Now, there was a lot of murder and intrigue. Matter of fact, his dad, Antipater, was a Roman big shot. And he was poisoned, so dad got poisoned. That's not going to happen to me. Oh, you know what I read? Now, I can't prove this with scripture. I read he, he had, he funded and trained and on hand had 2,000 personal bodyguards. Two, that's an army. Do you know how much paranoia it takes to have 2,000 bodyguards? That costs a lot of money, but he had the money. So all of a sudden, there's a threat of a baby being born in Bethlehem and he gets all bent out of shape. Herod, you're crazy. Yes, he is crazy. Do you understand? Do you see what someone that's that absorbed with themselves, how far they can get off track? And somehow the disciples are going to be dealing with people with that kind of power. Intermarriage and cousins and and, and, and one of the Grippas actually made it his sister. Did, and the family tree, there's a bunch of names in there. You saw the name Bernice? Does that sound familiar? You saw the name Drusilla? Does that sound familiar? Those were all in there. They're all family interconnected. I know that's great. I'm surprised they didn't have three arms. It wasn't protecting the turf. The marriage didn't happen. Forget that love stuff. Who wants to get married for love? It's all politics. That's what he's dealing with. So Herod reads this, or he gets this read to him. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come from Judah. And he's going to rule my people Israel. And he's thinking, wait a second, I'm top dog around here. I'm the ruler. No one's coming in my place. And that's his mindset. So he's tough with his own people. Now, notice how he turns and he puts on the happy face. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men 
and he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, again, I'm going to break some of your bubbles. But when I read the language of them showing up, and it's not a babe, it's a child, and it's not in, a man, not in the manger that we think, it's in a house. And he's already gone to the synagogue, and Jewish, Jesus has already got circumcised. They made the offering for eight days of the sacrifice for sin of opening up the womb. All that religious stuff has been done. And they ask, when did the star first show up? And it was however long ago, it was enough that he's saying, okay, I need to kill everybody two years and under. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may kill him. No, that's not what he said. That I may come and worship him also. The only one that would believe that was foreigners. Okay, verse 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, I was, I was curious about this. This is just my speculation. These wise men, they come and they're following the star, and all of a sudden, they don't follow the star, they don't go to Bethlehem. Evidently, I don't know, they didn't know the scripture. But where do you find a king? You find him in the capital. That's where they go. They go to the capital. So I don't know how much they know, how much they don't know. It's just, it's just a uh, curiosity to me. But that's, that's what I see. But they go to the capital and they say, okay, where's this king? And they, king, what king? Matter of fact, king, they get a little bit worried. They've got to be a little bit surprised. Hey, you know, they talk amongst themselves. What's this all about? You know, I, I could just imagine the conversations going on. And the king says, go look for him. And when you find him, go tell me so I can worship him too. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, I'm still in Matthew 2. And when they were coming to the house, see now he's in a house. They've already been to synagogue. They've done several things. I don't know how old he is. I'm guessing he's at least a couple months. They saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What a crazy present for a little baby. You know what? I think it's a great present for someone that's got to fund a trip to go to Egypt. It's a perfect gift. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, for they departed into a, their own country another way. I just think this is so funny. Herod is doing his best to outfox God and truth and politics. And you know what? Didn't surprise God a lick. So God, in a dream, actually in three dreams. We're going to read about three dreams in this chapter. The first one is to the wise men. And they say, listen, that guy's up to no good. Do you understand how powerful he was in that region? These wise men were taking a risk, disobeying the king. Verse 13, And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. God's still at work. Now, now think about it, gentlemen. Let's pretend you have a dream and it's like 2.15 in the morning. 
And he said, they're going to kill your child. Think about the panic. Think about the running around the house you did of getting things together, of packing up. Could you be able to escape and get on the road within an hour and a half? Yeah, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? And I know we have a lot more stuff than Jesus probably did. Get out of town now. So reach over. Deborah, we're leaving. I know what you, where are we going? Why are we going? Don't have time. Just obey me. The Lord spoke to me. Let's go. And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod, this is Herod the Great, will seek the young child to destroy him. And Joseph arose, and he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. I mean, they, they were gone. You know, can you imagine going to bed, and all of a sudden the neighbors wake up the next morning? Hey, where's Joseph and Mary? They're gone. Where's their stuff? Where's their burrow? Where's their st- Everything's, they lit out of town. I imagine in short order they'll figure out why they left so fast. But right now, it must have been kind of confusing to all those. Verse 15, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Once again, you can't fool God. Herod thought he was outfoxing God and the wise men and his fate. And protecting his, God knew it all was coming down the pike. And he said, a long time ago, my son will be taken out of Egypt. Let's go to 16, Matthew 2 and 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. When did you first see this star? A couple years ago. Yeah, I'm going to kill everything two years and less. And here's another thing that was forecasted. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. It was a foretelling of this, this, this calamity. I, I want to read a verse here. This is in Matthew 16 and 26. What is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? That was Herod. He was incredibly wealthy. He had, he built these palaces. They, I, I, I read that one of his palaces was 45 acres. No, 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 not the round surrounding the palace. The palace was 45 acres. And, and, and some of the architecture, they're looking at some of the architecture and the big stones he had that are up high, and they're saying, our cranes can't do that. How did he do that? He was rich beyond imagination. He was um, 
powerful beyond imagination. He had assets beyond imagination. Everything was at his disposal, but he was the most miserable of all men. He gained the world, but he lost his own soul. He had absolutely no peace. To me, that is just amazing. And, and when I read this, and I, I'm thinking, why was he so nervous? You know, there's some Old Testament scripture that kind of jump up to me. One of the things that show up to me is in um, Genesis 23, and I think it's 25, 26. These are some foretelling. Now, I don't know if Herod put this together. I don't know if he was aware of this. He certainly had access to this. But in that particular passage, this is when Isaac was going to have two children, Jacob and Esau. And what did it say? The older shall serve the younger. I have two nations in thee. You know what Esau was? Esau came down and he had Edom. And Jacob came down and he had Judah. And he said Judah would rule over Edom. He's reading the scripture. He's told of this king that's coming out of Judah. And it says Judah will rule over Edom. He's going, oh no, I got scripture against me. And then you go to Genesis 49. Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. And when he gets to the son named Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from thee until the Messiah come. Did you know there was a Jewish man on the throne all the way up to Herod? And the, the, the scepter departed Jewish history? And then all of a sudden, the Messiah's coming. So he saw that coming. And then if you spend any time in Daniel 9, and you'll see the 62 and 7 weeks and the prophecy of when the Messiah's coming, that hits it right on the head when Jesus Christ is coming. And they're looking for the Messiah. And that's why so many people at the time of Christ were saying, is this he, is it he, is it he? They were reading scripture. The timetable was falling, falling right in place. So you've got the, the, the Genesis 25, you've got the Genesis 49, you've got the Daniel 9, and everything's pointing that a Messiah is coming, and here's that demonic faith. I believe scripture, but I want to reject it and I want to fight against it the best I can. Matthew 2 and 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. Now you can see that name on there. That's the first uh, successor of Herod the Great. And he was the one on the road. And as Joseph's coming back, he's saying, you know what? I don't think Bethlehem's the place for me. I don't trust Herod the Great. His son can't be any better. They're just as political animals as anyone else. Let's go around Judah. And he heads up to Galilee. And he was afraid to go hither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Do you see those three prophets? The one by Jeremiah, the one by Malachi, the one by Amos? 
the one by Isaiah, they're, they're, they're telling you, they're going to call him a Nazarene. They're telling, he's coming out of Bethlehem. God knew it was coming. The thing is, is why? Why would God plant the king, the new kingdom, under this political turmoil? Just take us, compare King Jesus to King Herod for a second. You got this 69-year-old paranoid crazy man, and you got this little bitty baby. You got this man that's wealthy beyond power, all kinds of power and influence, and you got this little baby born to a poor carpenter. Why on earth would you be afraid of him? But he was. You know, they say hate's a funny thing. Well, that was Herod. Herod had all this paranoia and he expected the other guy to die, but you know what? It killed him. And he died a disastrous death. That's about the only thing they had in common. Jesus died a, a painful death and so did Herod the Great. So when we go forward and we look at Jesus' life, this is what some of the political climate that was going on when he was born. And I'm just, I'm just asking the question, God, why did you drop Jesus in the middle of this kind of political situation? Well, we'll get a little bit of insight when we study Jesus and some of his teaching relative political climate. I think it might be surprised. I don't care what kind of social media you're watching. I think you might be a surprise, whether it be conservative or the liberal, the red or the blue, it doesn't matter. I think you'll be a little bit surprised at what Jesus taught relative to the way we should conduct ourselves and what our emphasis should be. Because we can get as wound up as Herod or we can get about worried about it as the Jews. And the whole time Jesus is saying, don't worry about that king. Worry about that king. So I pray that this will be helpful as we study this climate. I know. This sounds like the way you're looking at me. This was a downer and this is December and everybody wants to be so happy. We'll get there. But you've got to lay the groundwork what Jesus was brought into. And you'll think, wow. If I was going to design a reign for a king and a young man... That's not the one I would design. But there's not much God designs that would be like the way I would do it. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.